0: Welcome back to the Wisconsin BHA Report Podcast. This is your host, Bill Kepke. Uh, this episode is, we're, we're uh, wrapped up with the Wisconsin deer season. So this episode is with Dean of Muck Dog Deer Recovery. Finally got him locked down after the season's over. Uh, Dean specializes in training and running deer retrieval dogs. So gets us uh all all fired up and ready for next season already but also some things to think about when we're heading out into the woods next season or if we're looking into getting uh, a dog of our own to train for deer recovery so uh yeah this is it's a good podcast hope everyone enjoys it a reminder to get your um cwd results in for your deer this year we've got four more days until we do the drawing on february 14th so hopefully that gives everyone enough time to get those last few test results back and we'll be doing our drawing for the one thousand dollar grand prize fleet farm gift card and then five runners up will be getting the uh, wisconsin patron's license drawn so stay tuned for more details on that and our special guest uh raffle drawer so Uh, newsletters coming out as well so stay tuned for that we'll be releasing our newest board members from our 2022 search and we're super grateful and thankful for all of you that submitted your applications and we're looking forward to a great uh, rest of 2022 so enjoy the podcast All right, here we are, Wisconsin BHA Report. This is your host, Bill Kepke, joined by Kelly Van Beek and Trevor Bell Richard. Kelly, Trevor, what's up?
1: Just happy to hear your voice, Bill. There you go. Always so happy to
2: hear your voice, Bill.
0: <laughs> I, I totally bought into that. Trevor, it was like we were just talking for yeah, hours yesterday. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had our state board meeting. Well, anyways. I'm excited for this podcast because it's all about dogs, recovering big game, how to train them, how to find them, how to read them, how to listen to them, how to trust your dog. Uh, We're we're joined by Emily Eel, a longtime, longtime participant of the podcast, always willing to share her passion, fire and knowledge. And we're joined by Dean of Muck Dogs Deer Recovery. So Emily and Dean, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me
3: gonna be
0: fun i'm excited excellent uh so let's start the show off kelly what are you what hat are you wearing and why where's it from what's going on there
2: well this hat is from our friend chris and and i can't pronounce the name of the company it's from uh i i i'm just ter- it, i'll spell it out p-a-l-o-u-s-e prairie company i don't know how you say that palace palace prairie company uh, they make a bunch of cool looking dog hats, but this one says fear the beard. And, uh, Krista got me the hat, uh, because there's a bearded puppy in the crate next to me, um, making noise that maybe you'll hear periodically in the background. She got me this hat one, um, shortly after I picked up my poodle pointer Leo in late 2021, that's the hat of the week, the hat of the show, hat of, of the show episode.
0: And if you know how to pronounce that apparel name, chime in. Or tag them in socials, appreciate it. All right, Uh, Trevor, what's going on with Wisconsin BHA policy? I was, I listened. I promised you during the meeting, but you're going to do a better job of explaining it.
1: Yeah, we in the meeting we caught up over you know subjects that have taken you know several months to to flesh out. I think the two most important ones that are coming up, and one I only found out about today, so this is kind of breaking news. But we'll, well, the first one is um, the sale of Knowles-Nelson land currently in the legislature. There is a bill which has had public committee uh, hearings already in the Senate, essentially that would allow municipalities uh, or counties to sell land purchased via the Knowles-Nelson program uh, for the price that they purchased it through or purchased it at and uh, with a little bit of interest. So essentially the, the bill would allow, you know, large tracts of, of land to be sold to private donors or private, uh, private sales, which isn't great uh, from most people's perspective. Um, like I said, that, that has had a hearing in the Senate. One person showed up to say that they weren't happy about it. So that was lackluster showing from the public. Uh, so it's something if you are in contact with your legislators to get a hold uh, of them about. Only today, so this just happened today, I saw a bill circulating in the assembly that is causing its dramatic changes to the uh, managed forest law program. And uh, I forwarded it to some people who are in the forestry sector who only sent me back. I am very concerned. Uh, So this is something that we're gonna keep an eye on and hopefully I'll be able to report more on uh, in the future, but I'm happy to forward that to anybody and uh, that can be disseminated further. But uh, currently, if you want to talk to a legislator that is referenced as uh, LRB, Uh, 5400-1, the eligibility and county limits on closed managed forest land. Uh, So it's causing some stirring within the forestry committee or the the forestry world and uh, something I think we're probably going to be talking a lot about in the future. So breaking news to all of you, uh, stay on your toes.
0: You heard it here first, everyone. Thank you, Trevor. Yeah, that's going to be a big one from the sounds of it. Yeah all right, well, everyone, I'm excited. We're, we're, we're gonna be diving into this podcast. Uh, El- Emily, can you catch everyone up, who you are, what you do? And then we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have Dean kind of kind of explain who he is, why he's passionate about the outdoors, dogs that can find deer, and why he or how and why he is I, he has to be Guinness Book of World Records, most grip and grins on the internet with deer and dogs, so I want to hear from him once we get Emily's update.
3: (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, I'm Emily, and I uh, have been a member of our local NAVDA chapter in the Madison area since 2013, I believe, and we've got German Shorthaired Pointers, as Bill mentioned earlier, and just started tracking back in 2016. So I'm really excited to have Dean on the call and uh, hoping to learn a few things from him so far. So if you're in the Madison area, check us out. Feel free to call and ask questions. Excited to get the year started.
0: Oh, awesome. Thanks, Emily. All right, Dean, give us your lowdown. What's your, what was, what did uh, little Dean grow up doing in the outdoors and then uh, Fast forward to now where you're all over the state and the Midwest chasing deer.
4: Sure. Um, I, I guess my passion really started with dogs, um, and then bow hunting. Um, my brother, my brother Dan got me into bow hunting when I was when I was young. I used to go with him, um, you know, when I was 10, 11 years old and, and tag along, and then um obviously started when I was 12, but I've always had a love um for dogs and watching dogs work and and honestly I've had um, little bit of everything when it comes to the dog world. Um, I've had pointing dogs with a German shorthair, uh, English pointer, English setters. Um, I've had labs, um, English springers, um, and, and hounds from plot hounds to running walkers. Um, so we've upland hunted, um, waterfowl, any sort of big game, uh, basically that you can chase bear, um, bobcat coyotes, um, and coon with hounds. So we've gotten a little bit of everything. And, and I guess where I started in the tracking, um, world was back in 2005. <clears throat> and that was back in the earn a buck days. Um, when you had to shoot a doe before you were able to get a buck tag. And, um, I had was opening weekend and I had shot a doe. Um, and I, and I had thought I made a good shot on her. Um, it was a very sharp quartering angle, but I thought I put it where I needed to. And it, in one of those deals where the blood trail just ran out, um, in, in that particular year, um, or in just in general, I had been reading about tracking dogs a little bit on the internet. And, um, I had at the time, um, a German short hair cross, German short hair, German wire hair cross that had been a bird dog her whole life. You know, she was, uh, two years old. And, uh, I had been reading about it, but I decided that I had better, um, a better chance of finding this deer by putting this dog on it than I did, uh, finding it myself. So I just thought I'd give it a try. Um, and quite honestly, she was one of those dogs that was a natural. Uh, I put her on it and she literally walked me down the trail, um, like she'd been doing it her whole life. Um, and took me, uh, 40 acres beyond our point of loss and, walked me across a wide open alfalfa field through a drainage dish into a cornfield, where this, where this doe was laying like 27 hours after the shot and she had never done it before. Um, so that kind of, kind of got, got me interested in it. And then it kind of grew from there where it went from just tracking for family and friends. Um, and then, you know, once people realize that you have a dog and you're doing what you're doing, it just starts to, to snowball. And and for me, um, the, that passion that grew each year, um, that I tracked and we just kept tracking more and more and more. Um, and then in 2000, I think now 2012, um, we had gotten our Bavarian, our first Bavarian puppy. Uh, and we started from there and it, it just kind of blew up, um, after we brought her into the picture. So, um, we've been, this was our 17th season doing it. And, uh, and by trade prior to this, I was a, a school teacher. So I taught PE for 20 years and, and, uh, been doing the dog thing on the side. And I, have been trying to find a way, um, that I could somehow do this and, and make a living, uh, doing what I love doing. So, um, you know, I met with a financial advisor, accountant, all those kind of things. And I, did. you know, I just said, you know what, I'm going to do it. And if it doesn't work, I can, I can always go back and teach. So, this this was our first year full time this year, and it, it was uh, quite honestly more than it was better than I could have expected. So, that's that's kind of us. I and mean, we started training full time uh, this year as well during during the I shouldn't say during during the off season of of uh, tracking. So we'll have a full 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 uh, kennel of client dogs in here in about a month once the snow starts to go away and, and we'll be off and running, um, training wise.
1: Dean, you said Bavarian bloodhound, is that a, well, you said Bavarian, I looked it up and found Bavarian bloodhound. Is that, uh, what's the, what's the purpose in choosing that breed over over Uh, another?
4: A Bavarian mountain sentown is a, a specialist, so to speak. And, um,
1: just right, like I said, if were, I said, bloodhound. Is that is that a pejorative? Well, term? I mean,
4: well, it's, it's, the, the, it's the, the translation of it is is correct. So it'd be B- okay. Bavarian Mountain Blood, very Mountain Bloodhound. Um, in German, it's uh which translates to either bloodhound or scenthound, uh, depending on how you translate it. So um, I say Bavarian Mountain Scenthound. Um, but uh, they're they're tracking; they're a European tracking specialists, and and um, that's why I chose. That's why I chose them, um, is because that's all I wanted them to do, and that's all you know. I, I don't have a multi-purpose dog, so um, that that's that's our gig, and that's why we chose the breed that we did. So they've, they've been they've been bred now for the last couple hundred years just for um, for that purpose over over in Germany um, to track cloven game, hooved game, um, wounded. So that that's their that's their purpose in life. Um, and they derive from the Hanoverian hound, um, and some other, um, other hounds in order to mix and get that breed. Um, but they're one of three, you know, specialist scent hounds in Europe, um, that, that are bred just specifically for that. The other one being the Hanoverian scent hound and then the Alpine Doxbracca. But, so that's why we chose what we
1: chose. In America, then we do not have any specialist blood trackers. Is that the idea?
4: um you
1: you like have for, clo- hounds, for, you cloven, say, for cloven for not, cloven
4: not that were not not i would say not that are specifically bred for um you know you get the bloodhounds that were that were bred to to track as well and and that's the what everybody thinks of when they think of blood tracking they think of a bloodhound um but they weren't particularly bred to track wounded game um so but that's what the, that's what the purpose of these animals you know these dogs have been for you know, their entire existence. So.
0: 17 years is a really long, that's like, that's, I didn't realize you'd been doing it for that long. That's awesome. Uh, And I guess for people listening too, because I know how competitive everyone gets with their dogs and the internet for whatever reason. um, Depth like not putting themselves like when they see what you're you and your dogs are doing, realizing this is 17 years of trial and error and learning and devoting yourself to it. And you've purposely selected a dog that's entire um, soul is is into finding injured, uh, wounded game. So um, just for people listening, I think to kind of sum up a lot of these details you've been mentioning and just how how consumed by this you've become is pretty awesome to hear.
4: Yeah, it is definitely uh, one of those things you say consumed. And and my wife would tell you that, um, that I am absolutely consumed with it. She'll ask what I'm doing on my phone. um, And she'll know I'm talking to somebody. She's like, are are you talking to your girlfriend? Or are you talking to somebody about tracking? Well, I don't have a girlfriend. So um, I'm probably talking about tracking to one of a network of of trackers either in the state or out of state. Yeah, um, I'm constantly talking about it, um, trying to get better, trying to find ways to get better, different training techniques, um, our year in general, just talking about tracks and different things. You, you, you look back on things and, and that's how you improve. You know, you, you think of different tracks that have given you problems uh, over the year or over the past years. And you're talking with other experienced trackers who may have had the same experience or you're trying to pick each other's brains. Um, as to how I'll go about it, and how to set up a training scenario, how you can how you can get better at it, um, or how you can you know problem solve or whatever. It, it's just a constant, constant. Um, I shouldn't say need, but a constant want or constant desire to get better.
3: Dean, I've got this book called Tracking Dogs for Wounded Deer by John. And I have it. Janine, yeah, I have, yeah. I have it right here. Right here. Right here it is. <laughs> yep, there it
4: is. <laughs> the, uh, the cover's worn off.
3: <laughs> but that one was first published in 2004. So if you got into it in 2005, you must have been kind of right on the tipping point of some of
4: the right. United Blood Trackers, um, the organization, and in you know John Janene um, and his wife Yolanda, and there's there's some other folks that were the founding members of United Blood Trackers, which with that organization officially started, uh, in 2005. Um, but those guys had been tracking for longer than 2005. It's just that when, um, that particular organization, which is obviously nationally known now, um, that's, that's where it started. Um, but I think there was, it was several years don't quote me on this, but I I think I remember talking to Yolana and some of the others that it started it, that, that there were, there was several years in the making, um, where that organization started. And, and there's been folks that have been tracking for, you know, much longer than that. Um, a gentleman named Al Sherman that lives, uh, in Indiana, but he has a, he has a place in Northern Wisconsin and Al's been tracking for, for 40 years. Um, and it's just a a plethora of knowledge and I'm constantly trying to pick his brain. Um, but, you know, Al has been doing it as long as it's been legal in Wisconsin and much longer than that. Uh, in the South where he first started. So, you know, th- those are the type of people that I try to surround myself with uh, are people that have been, you know, doing it. And people that have, honestly, quite pe- quite honestly, people that have the same ideas that I do and the same beliefs that I do about tracking. Um, because there's, there's a lot of different folks out there that are in it for different reasons.
3: What are Different reasons
4: that the, I believe in.
3: What are some of the reasons and some of your like, kind of fundamentals of, of tracking uh, that you do it for?
4: Um, I, I, do it because number one, for the dogs, I'm, I, I'm a dog junkie. Um, if you can hunt it with a dog, um, I'm all about it, but it, for me, for me, it's, it's about the dogs and, and that's really why I do it. Uh, the other thing is I don't like seeing, uh, animals go to waste. Um, and I'm all about helping hunters. So, you know, dog ultimately is, is one of the greatest conservation tools there is, uh, in terms of, of game and, and recovering your game. So, um, that that's, you know, one of the reasons that I do it. And, and I, like I said, I, it was, it was a way for me to incorporate both bull hunting and dogs. Um, and, and I love it. I'm passionate about it. Um, and, in there are people that are in it for the money, um, because you can, you can make some money doing it. Um, people charge people to track and, but that's not, I mean, I, I still, I still take it my, my tracking is tip based. Um, and I always say it will be until somebody forces me to do it different, but, um, there, there are people out there that the only reason why they get into tracking is because they, they see as an avenue that where they can make uh, a side hustle, so to speak. Um, and so, so they're out there, they're trying to do that. Um, so
3: yeah, I can definitely relate to just being interested in incorporating the dog in anything you can and I think I've seen that a lot just with having <clears throat> German short hairs as a versatile dog and starting out in NAVDA doing um, you know kind of the field and water there so covering pointing and some <clears throat> tracking on water and land but mainly for um, feathered game and then um just seeing how easily that they can adapt to those different environments. And then, um, when we, <laughs> when we took the, the tracking seminar that we went to my husband and I back in 2016, it just opened this whole new world of increased versatility for those dogs. And it was the coolest thing. I, I totally get that. And I think, yeah, there's so much you can do with them throughout the hunting seasons and then being able to use them and work with them during the deer seasons too that just added a whole nother level.
4: Right. Um, it's, it's one of, a lot of people, a lot of people, their interest gets sparked after they, they have a tracking dog come in and track for them. Um, I get, gosh, dozens, more than dozens of calls um, every year or messages every year like hey you know and it's some usually somebody that we track for that says hey I want to uh, that was really cool or they talk about it oh man that's really awesome I'd really like to get into this um, and do this and I I'm hesitant sometimes because what ends up happening a lot of times is people will get it, it's re, it's it's new and it's a really cool thing right and it's something that they're really excited about excited about, and they think they're going to have all this time to do this. And they're really passionate about bow hunting and they're really passionate about doing those things and they get a dog and then all of a sudden they don't have the time that they think they're going to have. And, and they don't get the dog out on as many tracks and they don't do these things. And all of a sudden they have a dog that is just not being used and ends up being more of a pet, which I don't have a problem with the dog being a pet, but um, A lot of these people want a specialist tracking breed because, oh, that's what you use to track and they're really cool looking and I want the best animal out there for the purpose when they don't really have a need, um, for that. And they aren't going to use their, that particular dog, um, up to its ability or what they're really bred for. And so Um, I try to really feel people out as to how serious they really are. And I, and I talk about, um, the not so glamorous things about tracking, you know what I mean? Like it takes, it takes a lot of time and I don't, I don't want to discourage people from doing it, but I just want to be open and honest about, Hey, like the busiest time of the year is when you want to be out in the tree sitting and hunting. You know, we forty percent, thirty or forty percent, thirty-five or forty percent of our calls come in a three-week span in November. You know, that's when you want to be out in the woods, and my phone does not stop ringing during that time. If you want to hunt and you want to be a diehard bow hunter, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a tough choice, and you're gonna to have to make a choice um, as to what you want to do. You can't do everything. Um, so those people that still want to do all of those things, I'll push them sometimes toward maybe a versatile type breed that they can do a little bit of everything else with rather than having a tracking specialist that isn't going to get what it needs as far as work, you know, as far as work is concerned. Um, and some people, um, some people take that advice and some people go ahead and get one anyways. And then, then all of a sudden you have a dog that's out there looking to get rehomed because it's tearing their house apart and their n- <laughs> because they're not working it. Um, so those are some things that I, I try to um, educate people on that that are really interested in getting a tracking dog is just to understand the amount of time and the amount of work that it is. um, If you want a dog to be really good, Um, those of you, there are several of you that have bird dogs. um, and, And you've heard it before that, you know, bird dog or birds make a bird dog, you know, well, guess what? Dead deer and deer make a a deer dragon dog. You're going to have to get your dog on a lot of them. And and a lot of times, you know, five to 10 tracks a year isn't really enough to get a polished, get a polished dog. Um, So you got to put things into perspective there as to how much you're going to use the dog and, you know, what, what, you know, what the real purpose is. So I'll get off my soapbox now, but that's that's one of those things where we we get those calls all the time. So I love a
0: good (laughs) a good dog soapbox. Trevor, you still got a bounce early. Did you want to d- jump in here with some questions?
1: I just had one more question, but it was more, you know, Dean, you said you work on tips and tips alone, which is uh, you know, rough gig, but, but uh, I imagine you could probably get paid pretty decent being a counselor. Cause I can't imagine the calls that you actually do take are easy calls to take. Uh, Cause I remembered, you know, you know, most people have a story of a, uh, of a a shot gone wrong or a not great situation. And I remember what I felt like on the inside and it was awful. And you're dealing with people when they're in a pretty low spot, you know, and I imagine that's, that's not easy. (laughs) That's not really a question. That's a statement, but I'm sure you No Right. No, I I agree.
4: Yeah. I mean, um, and a lot of times you get hunters who think they made a lot better shot than they really did. Um, and, and one of those where, all the evidence that they're telling you. Cause it, you know, when, when somebody calls me, it, it's literally like, like uh, they're there, it's a murder investigation. You know what I mean? It's one of those, it's one of those things that, uh, that uh, I ask all kinds of questions because I want to, I want to envision it. Like I saw it happen so that I know how to approach the track and I know what, what we're dealing with. Um, and a lot of times people see um, where they aimed, not necessarily where they hit. Um, but then at the same time, there, there are people that definitely know they made, uh, a subpar shot and are pretty down in the dumps about it. But, you know, I, I try not to dwell on it being a bad shot, um, as much as, well, that's over and done with now we need to move forward and, and put a, put a plan together as to how to best address this and how to, you know, go about recovering the animal and not blowing that portion of it. You know, I mean, the, the, the shot is over and done with. You can't take it back. Um, the only thing you can do is approach it from the right way from a tracking standpoint. So um, that's one of those things where, you know, when, when people are down in the dumps like that and um, that, that's you, you try to you try to push them away from that. You try to change the subject as to, well, that's over with now. But let's let's think about how we can go about this tracking. wise.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's just a good philosophy in life. So maybe not counselor, but a life coach would be better.
4: Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> so you, you mentioned earlier uh, guys getting into this for various reasons. Um, you know, some you agree with some, you don't agree with. I, so I, I guess the question I'm asking you is, so what are some things people could hunt, uh, people can be looking for questions they can ask because I know my first attempt into this was my uh, bear from t- uh, 2020. And I mentioned to you, to you Dean, that I uh, shot, made the shot, heard the bear go down, heard the death moan, knew it was close, but it got dark, really fat. It was super dark that night, raining. My headlamp died. So I had to back mm. and my dad, my dad, like it was just a, crazy set of circumstances we went back out there with a group of people uh, couldn't find him um, went back found a guy with a dog first person that responded to my post in the Facebook group went out there with him dog went crazy at the sight of the shot I thought I felt good about it Um, but (laughs) two hours later no no bear but a really tired dog who the entire time we thought you know the, the dog was on fire. It was it was doing everything mm-hmm. a dog does when it's on hot scent. And then I check my trail camera that I left mm-hmm. at the site and we find out there are four other bears had come in that night after I'd shot mine. So he was on hot scent being live bears. And then I find out later that the guy not so much is a um, recovery dog, but a bear hound. So completely, <laughs> completely different uh, training style function style. So I guess off of that, Dean, what would you what do you recommend to people when they start asking Um, or looking for
4: people to help? I I would recommend that that um with social media is to during the off season is to kind of check around your area and and see what's out there um, for game recovery dogs because as popular as it is, they're they're popping up everywhere really. But honestly what you're looking for is somebody that that has a, a, a certain amount of experience um doing it and, and and has been successful and like i said in the day and age of social media um it's not hard to see who's successful and who's not um and you know there you can do a lot of things with pictures and 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 whatnot but um but do your research ahead of time ask questions i mean message those guys or or whatever and, and ask them their experience and and a lot of times you can tell who's who and what's what just by messaging and talking back and forth with someone. You can tell if someone knows, knows their stuff or if they're you know, blowing smoke, so to speak. Um, but that's what I would suggest is, is to look around ahead of time and contact those people or put those numbers in your phone so that when, when or if something does happen, um, that you have that contact. Um, otherwise, there's, you know, United Blood Trackers has a tracker list. Um, you don't know what you're getting there all the time with, with United blood trackers, because it's one of those where if you're on the find a tracker list, if you pay a membership, you're on the list. Um, so you don't know what kind of experience a dog might have. Um, there's Wisconsin deer tracking network, um, who actually has a set of standards, or if you're on that tracking list, um, you know, you're getting a, a, a dog with a certain amount of experience that has, um, some recoveries under its belt and whatnot. So, um, one of those things where do a little bit of homework ahead of time, um, and ask questions of the, um, of the tracker themselves. Um, I would hope that if somebody's inexperienced that they would, that they would let that be known when someone calls them, you know, I know when I first had puppies, um, and we were, we were tracking, it would be, you know, Hey, I've got a first year dog here. I'm just going to let you know. Um, and a lot of times hunters are like, well, you're my last resort. So, it's better than nothing, but, um, when you got somebody who's, who's got a 170 or 180 inch deer or whatever it is, um, and they're, they're looking for somebody with a whole bunch of experience to find something, um, it, it's nice to have that knowledge ahead of time and, and, and know where there's an experienced tracker in your area. And not to say that it's more important to recover one than the other, but there, there's some people that are, um, have got a lot of money and time stuck into properties and different things like that. So I feel like it's, it's, um, the tracker's responsibility to be honest with hunters too, as to what they're bringing, what they're bringing to the track. Um, just because their dog may have found, you know, three or four deer doesn't make them, doesn't make them a legit recovery dog, so to speak. So, um, because many times those tracks are, you know, the deer's shot double lung and gone a hundred yards and they walked it, you know, the dog walks down it and finds deer and you know somebody thinks they have a recovery dog but um as as you can see or you you experience with your bear is that you know there's a lot of even though the bear didn't go very far there's a whole lot of other distractions there that a dog has to sort through and if a dog doesn't have experience in doing that um it can get pretty hectic pretty fast as you experienced
0: <laughs> yeah for sure it was that that was a long night i i don't think i got home until 2 a.m. or after 2 and then i was right back out in the morning with uh kelly's the carissa who gave kelly her hat she was my my bear savior so i was like trevor was mentioning you, you get to a pretty dark place when you don't you can't find that animal and uh this was my first solo bear on public land and um like i like i said i heard him go down the dog was the dog was showing all the signs you think of and once seeing a dog when you think it's on um, when you think it's on game and nothing to show for it. And then I go out with Carissa, i show her my map where I go, where, I, where I went the night before the whole track we <laughs> made. She right, walked,
4: like
1: a sketch.
0: yeah, she walked 20 and I was, I was, I, and I even dropped my phone. So I showed her go to put my phone in my pocket, missed my pocket, didn't know at the time. So now my phone's just out in the middle of the swamp on, on the ground. And I don't realize until I get back to the truck. Um, But I start wandering, like just absolutely wandering, um, probably from fatigue. And Carissa walks 20 yards past my last line and she just yells my name. She's like, Billy's right there. I'm like, oh, and I like walk over and it's I can see my tree stand like where the the tree was and 60 yards didn't even go 60
1: yards.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. it was a it was a wild experience. Whereas I think if I would have had Eugene, it would have been a much shorter night
4: yeah, yeah I'd say it probably would have been over just a minute or two really if it was only 60 yards away
0: but um, he, was, he was in knee-deep water he, he like swung way out dropped into the swamp and she just happened I don't know how she saw him because it's you know first day of bear season so the woods are still thick and he sure. was completely submerged up to his front shoulders in water yeah. with his yeah. head his head was caught between two tag elder trees. And that's the only Mm -hmm. reason he was still like upright is he must've ran into those, got caught and moaned, death moaned. But yeah, I have, there was no way we were going to see him in the dark, us just walking around because it's not like there was a blood trail or anything. Right.
4: Um, Sight tracking. Uh, well, grid searching for a bear at night is, is next to impossible, especially with the terrain that they're usually, in. you can't see five feet in front of you to begin with. So, um, yeah, it's in it, there. In black, and it's dark, and your lights aren't that great. And they, they, it's not like they have reflective eyes or anything like that, where you can you, know, you might see it like with a deer or something like that. But yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a little it's a little sketchy, a little hair raising too. Although you, you said you heard a death moan, so you knew it was dead there somewhere. But um, you know, if we're if we're in there after a bear at night, um, it, it's a little bit of a hair raising experience um, when you, when you're tracking a, a predator. Um, at, at night, you know, and and you've got a dog on leash and you, you know, you don't know if it's dead or not. Um, it it gets to be a little bit nerve wracking sometimes.
0: Oh, for sure. I (laughs) would, for sure. So we, uh, covered, you know, what, what people can be looking for questions asked. I guess I want to, I want to start hearing from Kelly because Kelly's with Leo. She's going to be getting into this and Kelly's at five months, six months old, got her first deer track. Um, I guess, what are some questions the two of you have for Dean about getting started or, um, yeah, learning more about this stuff?
2: I can take a crack at it. Um, yeah, like Bill said, I have a poodle pointer puppy. She's six months old this week and, um, New Year's Eve, she was with me and I had shot a deer that I knew was down. And I was like, why don't you know, let's just take her out there and see, see what happens. Yeah, like I, you know, we had snow. I knew the blood trail was good. Um, mm-hmm. no idea what I'm doing really, blood tracking wise, besides watching a lot of YouTube videos and seeing dogs work. And I was, and I had Emily's one of Emily's dogs, Lucy, had worked for me um right away in the bow season. And I was like, man, this like I would love to have a dog that could do this for me on a regular basis and other friends. So Had the puppy along, put her on the site of origin, and you could just tell that her demeanor changed from her typical bouncy puppy to like, oh man, like, there is something here that I am super interested in. And I don't, I don't know if she's a natural, I mean, there was plenty of blood, um, and a lot of other deer tracks, and you know, other deer scent in the area, but she locked on that trail of that deer for the most part, and took me 100 yards to that deer um, within, you know, a matter of a couple minutes, which was really just really fun for me to see. Again, I have no idea mm-hmm. what, what, what I should, what I should be doing with her or, you know, how, if I approached it the right way, I'd sent, i took taken some video and sent it to Emily, you know, besides just letting, I made her, I let her make a couple mistakes and try not to correct her too much and see what she would just do. No. Mm-hmm. But if you have a young puppy that you're thinking you're going to try to put on tracks, you know, how do you start to do that from the very beginning? Like I said, I had, it, <clears throat> I had a really good trail. So I knew, it would be pretty, I knew I could find the deer and I, I figured it would be pretty easy for her to follow, but how does somebody start?
4: Right. And, in if it's, if it is during a hunting season, um, a lot of times those are, those are the best times to start, you know, with known kills and different things like that, where you know, you have a deer down, just, just how you approached it. Um, so you have a known blood trail, uh, and you put the dog on it. So, you know, whether they're on it or off it. Um, but you know, like during the off season or during that season in particular, um, or maybe during a hunting season prior to, you know, you're going to get a puppy. Um, I would, number one, what I would do is read that book that Emily mentioned um, the tracking dogs um, for finding wounded deer and, and read that thing cover to cover prior to getting um, a puppy. Uh, I think a lot of people get a puppy and then decide that they want to do it, and um, not that it's not too late or anything like that. But um, it gives you a good uh, idea and game plan going moving forward before you before you get a puppy, so that you know what to do right away. Um, but if you already have one that you're looking you're looking to do, um, I would be collecting collecting deer parts for training for that following spring. Um, Deer legs, make sure that you cut, you know, cut all four of the hooves off, um, you know, six or eight inches up from the hoof and make sure that they're matched with the same deer. Um, I've got, I don't even know. I probably got 80 sets here or more, but, um, you know, all four of them together in a ziplock bag, or you can go in a pair, but so you're going to use those, uh, for training and, and collect blood. I know there's some people I don't believe in using blood, but I use blood to start puppies. Um, but uh, collect blood, collect deer blood when you're when you're field dressing an animal. He, it's, I, I know it's kind of weird, but, you know, I carry along a little cool container in a Ziploc bag, a gallon Ziploc bag, and I'm scooping, I scoop blood out of the cavity, um, and you put it in the Ziploc. Um, but those are, you, you want to have supplies for training. Um, and then um, there's a, a lot of different ways that you can lay trails, but, uh, and a lot of different things that you can do, but you know, personally, the way I start puppies, I don't drag anything. I don't do liver drags. I don't do high drags. Um, like I mentioned in the book, um, unless I really have to, unless I get a dog, that's really not interested, but I use the hooves right away with scent shoes. Um, uh, they're called a fairton shoe. Uh, I have a couple pairs here. Um, it's not, it's a podcast. So you guys, I mean, I know you guys can see them, but not everybody else can see them, but, um, What it is, is you can mount the hoof onto the bottom of the shoe. And what it does is it presses the hoof into the ground and and makes a track. Um, and really what we're trying to teach the dogs to track is that interdigital gland, that pheromone, um, that they give when they're, when they're lethally or mortally wounded, or when they're really hurt, um, they give out a different scent than a healthy deer. And that's what we're trying to get that, that dog to imprint on. So that when we go out there in the woods that they're locking onto a wounded animal, not every other deer that's in the woods. So, um, but I, how I start puppies, I, I lay, uh, a blood soaked kibble, I'll soak their food and blood and I'll lay a little line and it might only be 20 feet when it's a puppy that's eight weeks old or, or whatnot. Um, but I lay a little trail and I'll put my scent shoes on and, and, and I'll lay a little trail with, with kibble, you know, and I'll put, I'll sprinkle kibble about every one to two feet. And I'll step my hooves in the ground as I walk, and I'll lay a little line, um, and I walk the puppy up to that area where I first started, and let them sniff around and, and get that first little piece of food that's blood soaked. And, and most of these puppies figure out pretty quickly, um, and they start searching around for the next piece of food, and they just work down the line. And I'll lay lines for like like that for them, you know, pretty well every day uh, when they're little like that until they start catching on and moving forward and and working themselves down the trail. And then you gradually pull that kibble away to where you're only using drips of blood in the scent shoes. And then you make those trails longer and you age them longer and you start putting turns in and different things like that. But I guess what I do that might be different, um, than, than some other trainers or some other people do is that I try to get my dogs really solid, in a distraction, as much as of a distraction-free area as I can before I move into laying tracks in the woods. And I can't stress that enough. And I know there's a lot of people that really don't do it that way. Um, but I feel personally that it's a step that shouldn't be skipped. It's not one of those things that you can fast track um, but what it does is it imprints into them that that scent is the most important thing in the world. And there's no, there's nothing else there to distract them. Um, So you're trying to find areas that are as distraction free as possible. I mean, it's really hard to find sometimes, but you know, so I'll, I'll get a puppy really solid in an area or in a distraction free type area up to like 24 hour old tracks that are several hundred yards long in a, a distraction free area. And so they're, they're learning that that old cold scent, they follow that, that particular cold scent that that gets them to their reward at the end and every dog is different. You know, I, I love dogs that are food driven. So, you know, you get dogs that just do anything for food. Um, so my reward for my dogs, all of my dogs have been food driven. So, you know, it it might be, um, raw organ meat, you know, it might be liver. It might be, um, heart, deer heart or chicken hearts or chicken livers or whatever, whatever it is. Um, but, Whatever that, whatever that trigger is for them, I want them to find that at the end and just to be able to go crazy. Um, and, and that's what they get rewarded for. And that's, and that's what they're, you know, that's what they're tracking for. Um, you get some dogs that are really prey driven that, that like to have a piece of hide at the end and they shake you know, they grab and shake and grab and shake. Like they're wanting to kill something. Um, uh, you have dogs that are ball driven and toy driven and different things like that. You just got to find what, what it is that your dog is working for. Um, or that wants to work for, I've had some, you know, like I had dogs in this past summer. Um, and I had a couple that didn't care for food at all. Um, so you had to find what their trigger was, you know, and I, I had a dog that didn't want to, didn't want to pull on a, didn't want to chew on a deer hide. Um, didn't want the leg at the end. Well, what I found out was, is that she didn't want to play with a ball, found her favorite toy, uh, chew toy or whatever it was and put it, didn't let her play with it at all. Uh, and put it out at the end and she looked at it and it did it a couple times. And that was it turned around walked away. But what I found for her was like a frozen deer hoof for whatever reason. And, and I play and I, and I drug it around on a, on a paint stick, on a string and let her chase it. But it had to be a frozen deer hoof, whatever it was, she went bananas and it it took me a while to figure out what it was to get this dog driven to track. But you know, it it was a process. One of those things where I, I was. Beat my head against the wall where I, I couldn't figure out what what was gonna what was gonna drive this dog to track um, because she wanted to hunt everything else too. You know that that scent wasn't interesting to her because whatever was at the end wasn't as interesting as a bird or a butterfly or something else that was distracting her. You know, so um, you got to find what drives your dog ultimately. Um, but like I said, lay that foundation in an area that is as distraction free as possible, and then. I move in, then I'll move into the woods. But when I move into the woods, now I'm going to shorten up the trail quite a bit and it's not going to be aged nearly as long. We might be doing 24 hour old tracks that are seven, 800 yards long in a distraction free area But now when I go back to the woods, I might lay one that's three, two or 300 yards and that's four hours old. Because all of a sudden now you've got other deer that are out there. you got chipmunks, you got squirrels, you've got all these other critters that are in the woods that leave a much more fresh scent and that are much more appealing to a dog most dogs anyways hunting dogs um so i want i still want that that deer scent or that interdigital scent to be pretty attractive to them so i'll start with a, a a little bit fresher scent so that scent is still you know fairly strong and then we'll work our way back up and if you laid a solid enough foundation usually you can move back up pretty quickly once you get into the woods um and, and they figure out that you know trying to chase these other things isn't what's going to get them to the end or isn't going to get them their reward. So that's how I go about it. And I, in, in my analogy, the analogy that I use is, you know, if you're obedience training your dog and you, they've never really done it before and they don't have any experience doing it, are you going to take your dog to the dog park and, and train obedience? That'd be, that'd be crazy. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those things where um, you got to layer your training to to make them, you know, to make it so they, they can be as successful as they can. And, and when you put them in a in an area with a bunch of distractions and expect them to track right away, that's that's not, to me, that's not setting them up for success. You know, introduce them to the woods, but don't put any pressure on them to track. You know what I mean? Take them for free runs in the woods and do all those kind of fun things in the woods to get them used to those scents, but don't put a don't put an expectation on them to track and to expect them to ignore all these other things. When they haven't really experienced them before. Um, so that's how I go about it.
2: I think one of, one of my favorite parts as a bow hunter too, and one of the most critical things we can learn from, with the aid of the dog too, is if you do recover the animal, what by, when you actually can look at what you hit, and look at what organs got hit, since you were able to recover it, it tells you so much about the margin of error, error in bow hunting is uh, actually right, pretty, right. It's so much smaller than anybody ever thought. Um, you know, Emily was on a track with me early bow hunting. And, you know, honestly, after I gutted that deer, the shot really wasn't that bad. The deer is just really tough. And mm-hmm. how far the deer went and how little blood there was, um, all of these, you know, really small margins of error can add up to people easily losing deer and I I know we would not have found that deer without the help of without the help of the dog so it's just so like you said Dean at the beginning you know one of our most valuable conservation tools because we can recover so many more animals and then also teaches us a lot about how much those animals are designed to survive even after a legal hit and they can make it a long ways and make it really tough just for humans to be tracking them.
4: Uh, And you bring up a good point um and 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 I we talk about a dog being a conservation tool, um, but there there's also this, and I, and I don't understand it, it. It kind of it gets to me a little bit. It's one of my pet peeves: is that um, that people chastise hunters, other hunters chastise other hunters for using for having to use a dog to recover an animal. And it's like, oh, you you don't know you're not you're not a good tracker. Well, you don't know how to sidetrack on your own. There's so many different variables and so many different things that can happen that can make a really good shot. You can make a really good shot on an animal. And they, number one, they might go a really long way. Like you said, and number two, they might not leave a visible blood trail. You know, they, they, it, we see it so often where it might be an angled shot, where the, the actual hole that goes through the rib cage and into the vitals of the animal does not match up with the hole that's on the hide and through the muscle wall. They might be two or three inches apart you know, where, where the hide lays over the opening of the hole and they, there's no, the blood is not able to escape, you know? So <laughs> I, 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 just, I don't understand that instead of you give hunters chastising other hunters rather than saying, Hey, nice job for, for making every effort and using every tool, um, to recover an animal rather than, Oh, you, 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 are not a, you're not a good tracker because you needed a dog. Uh, it just blows my mind. How how somebody would would criticize another person because they they use the dog to be more efficient in re- recovering their animal. Um, you could be the best sight tracker in the world. And I'll tell you what, you put down a good tracking dog and they're gonna make a good a, a really good tracker look really bad. You know, I, I'll i welcome any site tracker to to <laughs> to track the same deer as some of our dogs do. And you know, because you, you hear it all the time, and Emily, you probably hear it too, like you know, you, you go to the, 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 last known spot the hunter had, you know, and they'll, you're, you literally it could be three, 400 yards and you're standing at that spot in minutes. And the hunter's like, it took us three hours to get here. Well, it just took the dog three minutes, you know? Um, so it, it's incredible how much more efficient a good, a well-trained dog is versus somebody's eyes or, or whatever. Um, it, it's just unbelievable.
3: I shot my first archery deer this year and or archery season deer anyway and um I was pretty confident I heard I watched the deer as far as I could see him and then I had a pretty good sense of where I thought he was he went behind some bushes and I thought I heard some rustling like he might have laid down and so um I wanted to go back and get Lucy so she could have an easy track because we were striking out on a few before that. And um, when we brought her out there, I was so sure that I knew exactly where the deer was. And I put Lucy down where I hit him and I was like, she's not going in the right direction. And I knew well enough that she was right and I was wrong to give her to Jake to just have him handle her on the track because I was in a mindset where I just, like, I, I thought she was doing it wrong. And I thought that deer, <laughs> I saw it with my very eyes where he walked and where I thought he was. And she went basically right to him. And then just for fun, we put Lucy away and went back to the blood trail because he was dripping for most of the way and we followed the blood trail by ourselves without Lucy and it took us probably at least an hour to get to where the deer died where it took Lucy I don't know five to ten minutes or something right right it
4: was amazing we we've had, we've had a a lot of different scenarios like that, where the hunter is sure the deer went, you know, a certain way and the dog turns and and goes the other way. Actually our first bear this year, um, the, the hunter thought the bear ran out of the bait the one way. And I, I put the dog down and, and kind of pushed her that way, you know, kind of set her up in that direction. And she walked down that trail, that particular bear trail that came into the bait, walked three steps down it and turned around and came back to the bait. And checked it, and then walked out the other direction. And I said, "Are you sure the bear didn't go this way?" Yeah, I'm. Pre- I'm real. You know, I'm pretty sure of it. And I said, "Well, let's just see. Let's just see what happens here. I'm just gonna follow a dog and see what happens." And, you know, like 60 or 70 yards before we marked blood, but the dog was pretty sure of herself. And then I'm like, "I, I got blood over here," you know. And and it was one of those things where it ha- everything happens so fast, and it's different when you're up in a tree versus on the ground. And and you think you see you know, things are, the perspective is so much different. Um, but one of the things I want, I wanted to, wanted to touch on is, is the, the way you approach a track with the popularity of dogs, um, nowadays, the, <clears throat> the way you approach a track, um, is probably different than it would be, um, if you were to, to sight track. Um, and if you think about old school sight tracking, like, Um, you lose the trail and you and a bunch of buddies spread out and you circle around and you grid the air and you walk all over the place looking. Uh and you're looking for places where you think that the deer might have gone. But in the day and age of tracking dogs, um that's a kind of a backwards, a backwards approach now with the availability of dogs. Um, because it's one of those things where you you sight track and and I don't mind people sight tracking at all. Um, but if you don't have a blood trail. Or your blood trail runs out um it's one of those things where you need to stop and make a call you might go a, a little ways and look out beyond your point of loss but you're 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 lowering your odds of a dog being successful if you are walking all over the place um spreading that particular scent around so you you've created a maze for the dog to try to figure out um And some experienced dogs can figure those out. It just takes them a little bit of time. Um, But it's one of those things where it it does make it substantially harder uh, for the dog to figure out. You might be tracking that deer's scent uh, all over the place versus um, there being a scent line there um, that's kind of unmolested, so to speak, for that dog to to track. And you'll see that a dog has a much easier time when you haven't been walking all over the track. Versus spreading out and looking all over for it. Like I said, I don't mind if somebody has a visible, visible blood trail, have at it, go ahead. Um, but when you start to struggle or you lose, lose the blood or you think, man, this deer has gone further than I think it probably should have. That's a time where, where you need to back out. And a lot of times it's one of those things where if you, it's good to recruit somebody to track with you that is not emotionally attached to that animal. Because they can be the voice of reason saying, Hey, listen, we need to get out of here. This is not a good idea. You know, we're pushing the animal, whatever it is. And you need to have somebody that's assertive enough to be able to convince the hunter that we need to get out, you know, somebody that the hunter respects, but, um, you can get excited. And it's happened to me too. Even, even, you know, I own a, I own dog. So and if I'm tracking my own, sometimes, you know, the emotions get the best of you and you make decisions that you shouldn't have. Um prior to bringing a dog in but that's just one of the things i wanted to touch on is is uh your approach to it is a bit different than it than it would be if you don't have access to a dog.
0: That yeah that that last part i might just chunk into its own episode and repeat that every week during deer season next year <laughs> right? on the BHA channel <laughs> like bring someone with you when you blood trail make sure that this is a person you're going to listen to cuz You do some crazy stuff when you're looking
4: for an animal that you can't find right away. You know, and then in the number one reason why people don't find a deer that would would is lethally mortally wounded um, is they just don't give the animal enough time to die. Um, They just they they pressure it. They put they they go after it too soon, and you jump it out of a bed, and you give it an extra shot of adrenaline, and all of a sudden it's gone way further than it would have. It might be gone onto a property that you don't have permission to be on. Um all sorts of things that can happen. Um so if you thought you've waited long enough, wait longer usually is one of those one of those things. Um but uh you know there's other factors too that might play into it um as far as wait times go with temperature and different things like that. But at the same time um, those, those things, those factors aren't going to make the deer die any faster. So it's one of those things. Do you want to recover the animal or not? You know, it, the meat might be bad. Yeah. But you're still recovering the animal versus you jump it and you don't recover it, or you get people that say, well, there's, we've got a lot of coyotes in the area. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, would it is it easier for the coyote to cut a track that's only 150 yards long? Or is it easier for a coyote to stumble across a track? That's a half mile long through a woods, you know, they, they have a lot, a lot longer path to be able to cut a track. If the track is actually longer, you know, if you bump an animal and they go a long ways, the, the, the odds of a coyote catching that, that particular track is a lot greater if the track is longer. So, um, it's one of those where do you want to recover it or not? It might be a part of a deer or you might not
0: get your deer at all. So. Love it. Uh, we're, we're closing it, closing in on an hour. So I'll give it uh Kelly, Emily, and myself, uh, I guess one last, one last round of questions for Dean here, then Dean, you can finish uh, with a concluder. So Kelly, we're wrapping up with uh, questions. I know my, my big question, I've been just Really intrigued about your your methodology, your kung fu, Dean, for how you work with your dogs. Because I, I I'm loving what I hear. Because so many people in the gun dog world, they get, or in the tracking world, I'm assuming they get, they read one book or they have one person they've talked to, and they're like, "That's the way I have to train the dog, right? Like that's that's the way. You know, we're only going to use kibble, we're only going to use force fetch, we're only going to use uh, this, that, or the other tool, but." you know you're you're putting all this work and time into finding what drives the dog because every dog is different right just like each of us is different um and I in my uh in my job I do a lot of coaching I work with a lot of people one-on-one and in groups and for me what I love most about the dog the dog training is the non-verbal part of it right like mm-hmm. we're, and you as a teacher I'm sure I'm i um, looking forward to hearing what you have to think about it, but like we get so focused on talking in our lives. Right. And then we mm-hmm. come to work with the dogs and that's the number one thing I see. And I know I did it when I first, when I first got Django, my gun dog is I talked way too much. Um, and I, this is, this was our third season and I'm, I'm in love when, with the days where I just got with him and I don't say anything. There's nothing said. Yep. It's just whistle eye contact and, and like a hand gesture here and there, but, Otherwise, when I hunt with him, it's, you know, like I, success is a day where I don't have to say anything like that's, that's, that's a good hunting yeah. day. So I guess what are, what are, like communication styles, um, kind of your, you your know, I, I guess,
1: I guess
4: for, I guess for me, you know, when, when a, when a tracking dog is working, you, I I watch videos all the time. And I'm you know, one of those, like I said, I'm a, I'm a dog junkie. So I, I watch other people, uh, their training tracks, their regular tracks in, like you said. Um, if there's, if there's one thing you can say to people is just like, stop talking, stop talking to your dog. They don't need, you know, if they're actively tracking, they don't need you to tell them to find it because they're already finding it. You know, they don't, you know, if they lose it or they turn around and look at you, like, uh, I don't know where it is then, or, or they need encouragement. That might be time for you to step in and say, oh, find it, find it. You You know, if they're struggling or or if they turn to look to you for help but if they if they're engaged if they're actively engaged in hunting or looking there's no reason for you to keep saying it you know um you know unless you're trying to um put together a verbal with something that you're doing you know when you're first introducing it to a to a puppy you know when you're the first couple of weeks you know when you're laying those kibble lines or somebody's doing a drag or whatever it is and the puppy doesn't know anything, you know, you might be saying, find it, find it, find it. So that is your command. When the dog actually knows what's going on, as you walk up to a track and you tell them to find it, they know, okay, now it's time to go to work. This is what I'm supposed to do. Um, but once, once they've got it, um, there's no reason to do a lot of the talking. Um, the other thing that's, it's so critical when you're training, um, is that you you give the dog, some room to make their own mistakes. Not only make their own mistakes, but give them a little bit of room to correct themselves. Um, because with it being leash tracking here, it's, it's a little bit different. You're, you can, you can, you can greatly influence a dog on a line, um, by leash corrections and leash pressure and Um, the way you follow a dog, the proximity, you follow a dog, whether you're planting your feet or doing different things like that is all sending, like you talk nonverbal, that's sending a nonverbal cue to a dog as to what you're wanting them to do. Um, you know, uh, and, and that's part of knowing your dog and reading your dog, but you're not doing your dog any favors. Um, if you're steering them, if you're steering them down tracks and pushing them down tracks when they're not really committed, and that's, it's a whole nother conversation but there's a whole lot of nonverbal, you know, body language type stuff that goes on when you're handling a leash tracking dog versus you have a dog that's out there hunting. You, you, it's, it's very similar to, um, you you've got, if you've got a flushing dog or pointing dog or whatever, and they're out, they're working in the field and they're quartering and you want a dog to change directions. A lot of times it's as simple as you turning and walking the direction that you want the dog to go. And they've learned to, to follow you and to be out in front of you. So, um, You want them to go a certain way and you turn and walk a certain way. Um, the same thing can be said for, for tracking when you're on lead tracking, if you turn and walk a certain way, a lot of times your dog's going to sense that and feel that and and steer one way or the other. They feel leash pressure on their harness one way or another, and it's going to steer them one way or another, or if they're unsure, you know, they're, they're trying to work out a, they're trying to work out a check where they, they're not sure where the track went and you creep up on them and push up on them and you get in you know kind of get in their bubble and you get close proximity to them it tends to push them a lot of times down a line that they really don't aren't committed to or they don't want to take um and then all of a sudden you have a dog taking you for a walk because you think you know where the line is um and they haven't really committed to it yet um or they overshoot a line and you plant your feet you know you know where the line is but you plant your feet too soon well pretty soon what happens is um a dog learns that they don't stop on a track unless they, unless you, unless you're planting your feet. So a lot of those dogs might overshoot a turn and just because you didn't stop your, you didn't stop and, and, you know, given that leash direction or, or your, your body has stopped and they're, you're stopped tracking. They, they will continue to push on because, Hey, they're walking behind me. So I must be right. So I'm just going to keep going, you know? So there, there's a lot of little nuances into the, to the leash handling part, um, that you know, with experience. And if you, if you team up or you get mentored by somebody who, who, you know, who knows a little bit about leash handling, he he can kind of show you some of those things. Um, or you watch videos of people doing it the right way and doing it the wrong way. Um, you, you can really learn a lot as far as leash handling goes and how you can really influence a dog, um, on a track, especially in no, you know, especially on a training track, you can, you can, I watch training videos all the time. You're like, man, that person's steering that dog right down that line. Um, the dog's not doing it by themselves, um, or you know, you, you kind of pick things apart a little bit. But um, though, those are those are some things that that I would say is that less talking is always better. Um, but not we're on a podcast, so we can talk as much as we want. <laughs> Love
0: it, Kelly Emily. Either of you got something? Final questions?
2: I can go with. Uh, I don't necessarily have a question just some just some comments and thoughts and thanks to Dean for being on and shout out to Emily and Jacob for helping track deer of mine in the past. I mean, just to, uh, reiterate the, the, this idea of it being, um, watching the beauty of the quiet connection between the handler and the dog, um, is, was super fun for me to see when Emily was handling, handling Lucy on that track was Emily trusting the dog, you know, not all of this, a lot of, I wouldn't say that a lot a lot of tracks i've been on that you know there's all of this commotion and people talking and stuff but the but the beauty of the handler and the dog and the quiet of the night and watching lucy you know move through the woods to find that deer was just a way different connection to the land and my bow hunting experience than i'd ever had before and it also gave me a sense of calm knowing that i was doing everything i could to get that animal um, whereas just kind of bumbling around through the multiflora and like being really mad. And again, I, I encourage people if you haven't considered a dog before to do it. To, if you haven't considered calling somebody and your gut is telling you um you may you might need some more help, do it. It's not only, you know, maybe the best thing you can do to try to recover a marginally hit animal, but it's also just amazing to watch and gives you a totally different perspective on your bow hunting experience. So thanks to all of you that that take time out of your season to do that for people. Um, It's been so much fun to watch and I'm looking forward to hopefully doing that a little bit myself with, um, between bird hunts with with the dog that I have now.
3: I just wanted to say, I think I've learned so much just within the last hour and it was great to hear from Dean who you have so much experience and it's really generous of you to get on the air and share some of your literal decades of tracking all kinds of animals with the dogs so thanks for doing that and yeah I think from I don't know from my own experience I I totally agree with Kelly I think it's a just a completely different way to develop a deeper connection with the land and deer I feel like I've learned so much about just habits of deer and um just taking the time and it takes a lot of time, but it's really fulfilling to use that to be able to observe your dog and observe the land. And, um, I just think you learn a lot while doing it and
2: it's, it's always worth it. So
3: thanks Dean for coming on and thanks Bill and Kelly for facilitating.
0: Dean, you want to wrap it up for us? Where can, what are what are your what are your concluding thoughts or final messages for people? And then where can people uh, find you for training or recovery?
4: Um, I, I guess final thoughts, um, like uh, like the others ha- have said, um, if if you haven't if you haven't reached out, make sure you reach out to to a local tracker. Know where to find one. Um, if you, if you're looking to, um, get a tracking dog, um, I I guess the biggest thing I'm going to say is that, um, these dogs are, if if you track a lot, these dogs are working dogs for two and a half months out of the year. Um, so they're, they're they're a, a family member and a pet for, you know, nine, nine months, nine and a half months out of the year. Um, so when you're picking a breed, um, it, it's not necessarily the breed of dogs because there's a lot of different breeds of dogs that can do it. Um, but pick, pick up, I shouldn't say pick up, pick a dog. If you're familiar with a certain breed, um, odds are they're, they're, you're probably able to train them to do it. Um, but if you're, if you're familiar with a certain type of hunting breed, stick with that breed, it's not necessary, it's not necessary to go out and find a specialist or what have you, um, just know that, um, there are a lot of different breeds out there that can do it, but you have to, you have to be able to find the breed that best suits your lifestyle versus trying to fit that, you know, square pig in a round hole type deal where, you know, you, 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 just, because you want to do this, um, you're going to pick a certain breed Well, they might not be the best fit for what you're doing and your particular lifestyle, um, and other things that you might be involved in. Um, so it, it's a big decision and it's a, and it's a you know it's a 13 14 sometimes longer um, year commitment to a dog um, to, to get one so make sure that you know what you're doing ahead of time and, and really look yourself in the mirror and, and ask yourself um, how serious are you about it? Um, are you willing to give up certain things um, to be serious I mean to be serious about it um, but just be honest with yourself as to, um, at what level you're going to get into it, get into it at, um, and then kind of go from there and then ask questions. I mean, ask questions of, of people that have the breed that you're looking at, um, people that have experience with that breed, look, look into different health issues and different things. We didn't even touch, a, we didn't even touch on that, um, genetic issues and health issues that a breed might have in, in please, um, those of you that are looking for dogs, um, please look for reputable breeders that are breeding dogs that are performance tested or, or have done those things in the field and they are health tested and they are all these different things because the last thing you want um, to have is a dog that's three or four years old and all of a sudden they have a genetic health defect and you're so attached to this dog and, and you know, they're, they're physically not able to do it or, or worse yet they die because they have a genetic disease um, because you, the breeder didn't take precautions. Um, So, do your homework there to ask questions of a breeder. Not don't just, don't just um, have the breeder be asking you questions about why you should own one of their dogs. It should be, uh, it should be a two-way street there as to what are they doing um, in order to make sure that they are, you know, selling you a proven dog and a, in a health tested and a healthy, healthy puppy, so to speak.
0: Love it. That's a that last special that last message is important for all dogs. Whatever you right. whatever you're getting yourself into. Uh, Dean, where what's the easiest way for people to find you, get in contact with find you?
4: Find me. Um, if you Facebook, Instagram, uh, we're on a lot of the social media outlets, but uh, Muck Dogs Deer Recovery training channel, if you look us up. Um, I have a YouTube channel, Muck dogs deer recovery on YouTube. Uh, we have a lot of our recovery videos on there. We have some training videos on there. Um uh, and especially with our client dogs coming in here in March, uh, we'll be doing, we'll have YouTube videos um, showing the progress of those dogs and how we're starting those dogs um, and different things like that. Uh, my contact information is on is on uh Facebook as well. Um, so you can contact me through my my Facebook page um or like I said on Instagram or YouTube or what have you. My phone number is on there. Um I'm always willing to talk dogs and, and to talk training and, and different things like that. Uh, as you can see, I, I, I like to talk about those things and we could talk for several more hours about it. And, and, uh, I, I just don't tire of it. So if you, if you got any questions regarding training, tracking, um, whatever it is, what breed to get any type of those things, don't be afraid to holler.
0: Awesome. Thanks Dean. Uh, really appreciate you, uh, coming on the podcast and sharing all of your, your knowledge, your experience and your passion. Cause uh, I know I follow along muck dog year, year round during season. It's a roller coaster. If I'm yeah. at work, <laughs> if I'm at work and I want to be outside, I just go over. I'm like, where's Dean today? How many, <laughs> what what's, yeah, what's he got going on? Um, it's so, kind of yeah. funny when
4: we talk to talk to our followers like that, they're like, man, it seems like every day, every day you're, you know, you've got one on there or you got a couple on there or whatever. And it's, it's uh we wouldn't have it any other way man it's a it's a it it goes by in a blur we're Mm -hmm. out there tracking you know 16 18 hours a day a lot of times and and sleeping on the side of the road at night people (laughs) people don't know that one you know I'm in a parking lot at two in the morning so I can make it home um but uh yeah it's it's uh and then it's all of a sudden it it stops and it's over and then I go Mm. into depression
0: yep that's where I'm at right now (laughs) couple more couple yeah. more weeks of rabbit season then I'm gonna just curl up in a ball right. Uh, all right well uh, Emily Kelly thank you thank you once again for coming on Dean appreciate you uh, and everybody have a good night all
4: right have a good one